Hello, 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 everyone. Today we are mapping a funnel. Soon, not yet. My victim is late, which is fine because I actually, I have, I have named the thing. All right. So if we are looking at the funnel from the buyer's perspective, and we are talking about it in copywriter language, we are talking about someone who is unaware, right? That's the top of the funnel. And we pull those people in with newsletter, social media marketing, with podcast, live video, with a variety of potential channels. And we take the prospect through our nurture sequence to eventually lead to the product, right? Which is the thing that we are selling them. There are an endless number of potential ways that we can attract the prospect and an endless number of ways we can structure our product. But what's important is that we figure out the most likely pathway to the prospect and then the best way to strategize our product. Oh, it's one of those not my best lipstick kind of days around here. My children are insane. I'm really glad it's Friday. Okay. So let's talk about some potential ways we might generate our prospect and get them into our sales process. So obviously we have social media. We have the social way of marketing that is entirely attraction based through long form posts. Eleanor Strong is a master of this. We have visualized media through Instagram and Pinterest. And one should never overlook Pinterest as a potential strategy, especially if you are a person of color or otherwise marginalized, because Pinterest is still used to pulling what is most popular. So if you are presenting it with something that is not under the standardized parameters, it's being searched for, but it just doesn't exist in great scale. So if you are entering the market, that gives you a tremendous advantage on Pinterest. Um, 
Instagram, obviously, visual market. We have LinkedIn, which is the business type market. And I think that's the one that we will be focusing on here. If Chima ever joins us, it's a Friday. It's, it's, we're, it's, we're going wild. Okay. I use my podcast and I obviously use this channel because even though I don't have a whole lot of YouTube subscribers, I can direct people to it as a medium. I have the ability to share past information with people so it works out as a client generating activity over time. People have listened to my podcast about kids movies and cursing and have found me on Facebook and asked me for work. So never underestimate any of your potential media channels because you just never know. Now, once you've attracted the prospect, we want to spend some time nurturing them and getting them to know who we are and what kind of services we offer and what I don't want that there. Thank you. StreamYard. Thanks, StreamYard. Okay. Um, what the hell was I saying? Right. What we're doing to attract people. Once we've got the prospect, we need to keep them over time. So... There are also an infinite number of ways that we can do this. And let's be honest, I use memes. Long-term memes are an effective strategy for me. I believe Chima will be joining us at some point and we'll talk about her stuff on LinkedIn. But attraction marketing is always going to be the best way to connect your people to your product. And at the end of the day, that's what we're looking at, is finding and defining who our people are and how to get them to our thing. It's, there's many, multiple, infinite ways that we can do that. But if we focus on one pathway at a time, we are much more likely to drive that success over time. So I've chosen live video. Here we are on live video. I'm just by myself, which has been perfectly enjoyable up till now, except I don't have a funnel to map for you. Okay. So do, 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 do. Let me pull this out. And... I have some stuff so I can potentially talk this through even without Chima here. She's just not here to defend her good business. Poor thing. Okay. 
So, okay. We discussed first her social followers. She's got 2,600 or so on Facebook, 6,000 plus on LinkedIn, 300 on Twitter. Twitter is this best pool and it should die anyway and we don't need it. She says her website numbers are shitty, which is terrible when you're an SEO, no? The irony here, of course, is that we're all our own worst barefooted cobbler's children when it comes to these sorts of things. I just built a functional funnel and it's still not fully functional yet. Okay. So traffic sources for Chima on her website, she's got an average of 1.2K users and a session duration of one minute and 20 seconds. Oh, hey, that's not bad. They're reading. All right. For time on site. Okay. And then we come. Hopefully she'll come soon because I'm sure she's got other things. There are always other things. But I think that if I know Chima's process, anytime now, Chima, she gets most of her people from LinkedIn. And I have her price sheet, bless her heart. So, um, She's got content rates per article for long form content. They're good. I like them. They're decent rates for guides per page, website copywriting services, ideal customer research, and then SEO content strategy which is where she gets retainers, which would be, I imagine, where she would like to have some real serious work set up because that is where we have the most or the largest charge. But we'll see. Oh, hey, look, she's here. And as soon as she is connected, oh, we're getting there. Technology. It's an amazing thing. Okay. Hello. Hi, Dad. I'm kind of nervous. Yeah, I'm thinking about the <laughs> websites today. That makes me really nervous. <laughs> it's fine. So I'm so glad you could join me. 
And I've, yeah, have you been watching by any chance? So I've been picking apart pieces. Okay. So I do want to know, what is the thing that you want to sell the most of? Is it retainers? Yeah, like, ideally, I want to do in a selling clause, building those clusters, and then turning that into long-term content strategy. So, obviously, retainers. Starting out as one topic clusters, that's kind of like one content strategy, and then heading off into a retainer for long-term work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how many clients, roughly, can you handle before you have to start outsourcing work? Hmm. I think I only have to outsource work like maybe two times, and that was because there were bulk projects, <clears throat> like projects that had like a lot of content inside. So I had to outsource. But usually, I try not to take on more than what I can handle on my own. Okay. Good for you. So yeah, how many? What's your what's your cap here? Yeah, like I think four, four, four. Okay. Yeah. And where are they coming from? LinkedIn. Yes, right now LinkedIn and people who are reading my blog, like the client I just signed today. I don't know how, but she happened upon my blog, liked what she read, and that was it. But most most of the clients I signed are truly like, let's say, ninety percent LinkedIn, five percent Facebook, and five percent from organic traffic. Yay! And how's it going? Yeah, really good, really good. But but I think I concentrate more on LinkedIn because that is where like I get a ton of leads from. So. Almost everything I do is on LinkedIn, and then the website is kind of like a portfolio. So I'm not really taking it serious, but LinkedIn, that is where my action is. And it's been going really good, really, really good. So then, yes, for you, honestly, if I had to suggest something that besides your website, and you know what you can do on your own website, right? I know, I know. Like, there's just so many things I could do on my website to make it, to make it better, like to combat better. But I don't know. I, I just, I just don't feel that push to go and do it. I don't know why. I don't know why. So, because working on our own stuff is, it feels hard. It feels yes. hard because, well, for one thing, it's not a billable hour. Exactly. And so there is this reluctance to work on your own stuff when you could be doing client work. And mm -hmm. if there's time, then it's, why don't I have clients to be doing client work in this exactly. Place exactly. Exactly. So I have all this, I have a, a list of Topic clusters I'm supposed to be building. I have a list of things I'm supposed to be doing on design side, on graphic side. A lot of stuff I'm supposed to be doing, landing pages, all that. They're all somewhere. But doing it, there's just no motivation, honestly. So here's a wild thought. How about you outsource that? 
Yeah, maybe one day. But I feel like I want to hit a kind of target income, do it month to month regularly. Then I can already face my website and I'll source all of that, everything that has to do with improving the website. But until I hit that target income that I'm looking for, then it's not going to feel worth it to me. Okay. Then it's a matter of getting more people in so that you can have that extra income. Yes, exactly. Exactly. What's your average reach out rate on LinkedIn right now? Usually I don't even reach out on LinkedIn. I used to I was doing that last year and I don't know just No 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 people reaching out to you. What's your average rate of people reaching out to you on LinkedIn? Hmm. Let's say I never really thought about it, but let's say maybe um three people a week. Depends, like if I just publish a content, then I have a ton of people who have just read that content who are asking me about that specific thing I posted about. Then if I'm just publishing content on LinkedIn, then let's say on an average, maybe three people a week. At the most, at the most, 10 to 15 people a month reaching out to ask about what I do. And then people who actually convert one to two. Okay. I feel like that's a decent conversion rate, honestly. I mean, because it's LinkedIn and there is a possibility that when people are reaching out to you, they are expecting lower rates than what you are selling your services for. And that's just a reality. No, it's true. It's true. Like when you see when you see my content and they're like, "Oh my gosh, she's so good!" And okay, maybe I can get a steal and get like a cheaper price because she lives in Nigeria. And then they see my rate sheet and they're like, "Oh, she's not cheap." And you have very few people who are willing to pay that much for a copywriter who lives in Nigeria. Yes, they expect you to be cheap because you are a Nigerian, and I'm sorry because that's just bullshit yeah, yeah, so, yeah so that's what i think that you need to start being a little more upfront about in your copy if so if the people that you're attracting aren't i mean one to two people is not bad but you're good at what you do. Your copy is fire. Like there is absolutely no reason that people reaching out to you because they're reaching out to you shouldn't convert at least 20% of the time. Which would be four or five a month, right? That would be also... So then what we're missing for you is clearly defining who those people are and that they can afford your rates. So it's time to start talking about, and look, I don't actually think you're going to have a hard time with this, 
but it's time for you to start drawing this line in the sand. You're expensive. Your rate is high. Your work is high. See here this work over here with these case studies that you have published? Don't sell yourself short because I know you have this stuff. I know you have this stuff and I know your rate is absolutely warranted. So then it becomes a question of making your people see that your rate is warranted, right? How can you do that? And by my people, who do you mean? The people who are reaching out to me? Yes, the people who you want to work with. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think, I don't think there's anything else I can do to show people that this is who I am and that I'm not cheap because I think just by reading my contents, there's no way I'm going to assume that someone who writes such good content is going to be cheap. Like, that's insane. That's insane. And my location is already probably there. Anybody who's reaching out to me can clearly see that I'm in Nigeria. Very clearly there on LinkedIn, it shows that I'm in Nigeria. So anyone who's reaching out, usually they check out my profile, read my profile, see the reviews, everything, and then they reach out. So I never actually deny that fact. I, I, um, I, I try to write stories on weekends, and then I detail what it's like living here in Nigeria on LinkedIn. So anybody who's reaching out clearly knows where I'm based. So that much is very, very clear. The issue is bridging that gap of living in Nigeria and then charging as much as people who are living abroad. And if I have to convince somebody that I'm just as good as those who are living abroad, they never end up as clients. It's always those who expect to pay good money for coffee, irrespective of location, that always converts. So again, it's a matter of training. You haven't yes. trained your people, your audience. And this isn't hard because you're a master of the organic outreach anyway. They're already coming to you. So this now just becomes a matter of once or twice a week, you write a post about why your rates aren't low just because you're Nigerian. Thank you very much. Okay, I think I understand what you're saying. So you're asking me to make content at least once a week. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Stating clearly that I'm not cheap. Yes. And then explaining I'm not cheap. Yes. Hmm. Something to think about. I don't I don't always feel comfortable talking about money on social media. You don't have to talk about how much you charge. You don't have to talk about how you're swimming in pools of money. You can talk about <clears throat> you have an opportunity if you use it correctly. Why should anyone pay less for someone in Nigeria just because you're in Nigeria? Why should... What reasonable standard are we talking about on any level in any country if we're saying that you're worth less because you don't live where I live? 
you have an opportunity to have that conversation if you would like to have that conversation. And it lends itself very naturally to the reasons why you charge what you charge. True. Something to think about again. I'm not saying I'm going to do it, but something to think about. You don't have to do it. But I think that if you train your audience to believe that your rates are going to be higher than they expect them to be in whatever way that happens, in whatever way you decide to make it clear that your rates are your rates and your Man, their budget is their budget, but your rates are your rates and you charge what you charge and you're not going to apologize for your rates. And if they're coming and knocking on your metaphorical door or inbox, they should at least have the good grace to not expect bargain dollar pricing because you live in Africa, because that's not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. Agreed. So it's a matter of framing it on your end. Hmm. And yeah. you're, you're willing to hit a lot of issues. I read your posts. We're friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. I know what you're willing to talk about and what lines you're willing to push. And this is just another. It is unreasonable for people to expect for you to charge less. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I can definitely see myself creating content because it still boils down to the fact that Generally, black people are expected to charge less than white people. Still boils down to that. And then now bring it lower. Black people in Africa are expected to charge way lower. Way lower. When I have an African name that people struggle to pronounce, I'm expected to even charge way lower than everybody else. So it's like everything is working against me, and I have to keep like fighting, not really fighting, but explaining myself on why. I'm charging like everybody does, which is what content has helped me do to a large extent. Content has helped me set myself up above. There's always that extra move that I can make to explore that conversation and maybe help people open their eyes to see that um, subconscious bias that they have towards African writers. Mm -hmm. And we'd like them to not have their that bias when they contact you. And if they don't, yep. I, do, yep. I, I think that if we can eliminate that bias before they, before they even reach out, then you're much more likely to convert at a higher rate because your work speaks for itself. I love and adore and recommend you to everyone because you're very good at what you do. And because you're very good at what you do and your work speaks for itself, there is just absolutely no reason why people shouldn't be willing to pay your price at least half the time. And I say half the time because I'm 
an eternal optimist, but let's just assume 20% of the time. And if you were converting five to six people of your potential outreach, then you'd be exactly where you'd want to be, right? <clears throat> yes, definitely, definitely. If I was converting, yeah, if I was converting five to six people, I wouldn't even need to convert that number every month because usually the project I work on usually take like a couple of months. So I would need to be doing that a couple of times a year and I would still hit my targets. Now, the ideal for you, honestly, is to get to a point where you have a wait list so yeah. that because if you're not, if you don't want to outsource the work, which is fine, that that's great. SEO is not something that is immediate. So you can set yourself up with a long term wait list of, oh, I can't get to you right now but I'll have room in two months here. I'll put your name on the list and I'll come back to you. Wouldn't that be nice to be able to have a wait list? Definitely, that's like that's like the dream of every copywriter to have that wait list of clients because that gives you leverage to charge more because right. you know you have that base of income and then you can tell someone, oh, I'm charging double my price and they can either stay or go. So that's how you keep hitting those income goals. And I'm very aware of that, super aware of that. So ideally, ideally, if everything is going the way I'm planning, I should be there in six months. Uh -huh. But who's there? I can't even reach that before six months time, right? No, I really, honestly, your numbers are good. And I know, I know you don't feel like your numbers are good, but relatively... <laughs> Like the, I know the bounce rate, the average bounce rate for content sites is around 70%, and my bounce rate is like 79, and that just makes me angry. Like, but I understand, I'm not really focused on that because every time I publish new content, I have people who are reaching out and making inquiries and converting based on that content. So I'm focused on that 11% of people who are reading the content to the end and reaching out to book calls and sending emails. So that's what that really matters. And your site time is good. At a minute and 20 seconds, people are actually reading. So even if your bounce rate is high, I personally think your on-site metric is more important at this stage for you because what we care about is that they're reading because readers reach out, right? Yeah, yeah. And what I've noticed is that when people read, read my blog contents, they're not asking for portfolio samples. They just reach out just to see my face and they just sign up. Like shortest calls with people who reach content to the end. It's more like, oh, okay, I wanted to just see what you look like, make sure you're a real person and all of that, and it's just done. So those who are reading those long form contents, they are ready, they are ready to go. There's no barrier already. They are convinced of my skills. Everything is good for them in their mind. Let's do this. Then yeah, then as far as I can see, the only thing missing is that they're not properly trained on your price. And you could, I mean, are your prices listed on your website? 
No, or no, I, I, that's, I have two different questions. Yeah, I have a price. The ratio I sent you was the ratio I use for small businesses. I also have a different ratio for a different set of clients that is way higher than that. So just to make sure I'm not giving everybody the same price, I have two different ratios, one for everybody and one for a different group of people. So I don't publish it on my website for that reason. <laughs> Then, then yeah, it's a matter of training and it's a matter of doing that in your social media feed because people who reach out to you are at least, I'd say 70% of the time coming to get to know you from social media, which is what organic is for. Yeah. So you just got to get yeah. them to understand you're expensive. You're expensive and you're worth it, baby. Yeah, like I think... This is this this could be a good conversation to have on on um, Twitter because there is no better time than right now to be having this sort of conversation. So maybe I, maybe I could I could think of something for next week. Could definitely go well for next week. Thanks for the idea, Brad. You're welcome, my darling. All right. So let me know if you have any questions and I'm going to be checking in on you in a couple of weeks and we'll see how this goes. You have those questions I sent you. I sent you some questions. We are there. All right. All right. All right. Fine, 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 fine. We have questions. Yay. I'll do it. We have those questions. Let's... I know I typed them off. Wait, wait, it should be the invites or something. I, wait, let me, let me pull up my phone and check the invites. Hold on. Because I, I know I added like a couple of questions in there. Mm. Let's see if I can find that. Okay, that. You have a lot of questions. I could, I could, we could go off this list for weeks, days. What? What the heck? Uh, I thought you had the, like, I thought you had those questions that, that I sent. We have the questions, but I'm asking you, we have the questions. Yes, you have questions. Okay, okay. Let's let's pick pick one. Pick a question. Since no, I, can't I, can't you. I can't find them on my phone. So you have to you have to you have to like run run them to me. What what was what was the questions I asked? I asked a couple <laughs> of questions. Well, you wanted to know if funnels really work. You wanted to know how do you find clients? I've just, you don't need any help finding clients. You just need mm -hmm. help training your clients. Mm -hmm. How do you balance children and working from home? Um, noise canceling headphones. That's how we balance children mm -hmm. and working. <laughs> uh, do I prep my meals? Yes, actually. Or I order from a service because I am willing to spend extra money to not have to do some of the food prep myself because good food is non-negotiable. <laughs> I agree. So, and if, if it's important, then yeah, prep it at home because... I know people who are like, no, I can't get a service to do what I need them to do. And I appreciate that. So if you can't get a service to do what you need them to do, then yes, we can prep and it's worth your time and you just suck it up and do it so that you can eat 
when you're hungry instead of, well, in my case, eating the children. Um, has SEO anything to do with funnels? Sure, it's just one of the many pathways to prospect. Yeah, like I've always wondered about that. Like, where's the intersection between SEO and funnels? Like, where do they meet? So, for most people, the ability to get website traffic is, I think, a highly overlooked potential income stream, whether that's through SEO and Google ratings, whether that's through SEO and Pinterest. And I don't know, do you do any of the visual imagery side with SEO on Pinterest? Or are you? Yeah. yeah. I use, I use, I use Pinterest. It's really good for, for getting organic traffic. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's SEO. It still uses keywords. It still uses long tail search. All you have to have is a pretty picture. So SEO is an incredible way. And I think Pinterest is highly overlooked. And I said this before you joined me, I will say it again, especially in minority and marginalized communities because that shit just doesn't populate heavily on Pinterest yet. So if you're feeding that information to it, you're going to do very, very well. Pinterest, always your friend. Okay. How, how do you get clients to drop testimonials and recommend you to other clients? Oh, you ask them. You ask them very nicely. Hey, would you mind? What question should I ask during my onboarding process? Whatever you feel like you need to know. My onboarding application is four pages long. It usually takes people about an hour to fill out. I tell them that they should save it in a separate document because if they do not, it might get lost and they'll be very, very sad. Most people probably don't need that kind of onboarding, but really, I. There are important questions there. I need to know. No, seriously, ask what you need to know. If in your case, very specifically, you're trying to cultivate a specific <clears throat> response, right? You need to know about what markets they're targeting. You need to know what keywords they are already ranked for, probably what they're trying to capitalize on. So ask all of the questions that you need to ask and ask them even if your customer is like, you don't need to know that. No, really, I do need to know that. Trust me that I need to know this thing that feels weird yeah, to you. That's always the problem because I have, I have like a two page, two different documents for body wall. I always have a trouble getting clients to fill it out. It's like, I need all this information and then they just hate filling forms. So getting them to fill those forms is always like hard work. Automate it. The, the, the beautiful part about the application process is that you can automate it, figure out, 
I don't like all-in-ones, and I generally hate them all. But Dub Sato is probably the best of them, and you can put in your application questions, and it'll just keep sending them a reminder. Hey, you haven't answered these. Hey, you haven't answered these. Don't, don't, don't deal with those pokes yourself. Cool. I'll check it out. Yeah, I think that's everything. And podcasts. You wanted to know more about podcasts. So when you're yeah, pitching, I want to do a podcast. So like, and it could help. When you're pitching a podcast, make sure you've listened to the podcast. And really, that's the only requirement. Like, <laughs> and that you fit like an ideal guest there. But at this point in time, with your skill level and your expertise, if you know that you want to be on the podcast, you have a reasonably good shot at it simply by citing your skill and your expertise. When you write... I mean, I get pitches for podcast appearances regularly for my kids' movie show, which it's clear that they have never listened to a single episode because we don't have guests. We talk about kids' movies, and we swear a lot. They want to come pitch their business shit. I'm like, did you maybe not check out the show i don't think you checked out the show really all i'm telling you is do your research write a halfway decent pitch and i do i have a thing for that but you can write a decent pitch i'm sure hey i'd like to be on your show this is what i'd like to talk about this is what it will be this is the benefit for your audience that's all you yeah. need to do. You, yeah, you, you know how to write those letters. Write that email and format it once really well and then just customize it for all of your appearances. Noted. Thank you. Okay. All right, my darling. Well, this has been Hi. fun. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you for letting yeah. me be a part. And I will be in touch and we will see if being more upfront about your worth gets you people who are willing to pay you what you're worth. Yeah, I'll get back with you on that and, and see how that works. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.